weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to you, Johnny's. It's Tuesday, November 28th, and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, Mark Landon and Alan Cawley set us up for another big week in the Champions League. In golf, we'll hear from Tiger Woods, who had his say on the future of golf today before his own return to action this week. Plus, we'll pick Ruby's brain on the winter's racing so far. But Ruby also speaks to Paul Townend on his strong season to date. You can text us on 51552 or tweet us on X at Game On. 2FM. It's getting confusing with the X in the Twitter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what it you, is now. You nailed it, you nailed it, Marie. Game on on 2FM. Welcome along. Welcome along is right. I read an interesting headline. Alan Cawley's in studio with us this after this evening, even. Alan, sin bins could be coming to the professional game. Where'd you stand on that one? <laughs> I actually saw this headline and... I saw other headlines about that they're looking into VR for yellow cards and corner kicks. And honestly, for anybody who was watching the match last night, we've had enough of VAR already, but for anyone who was watching the ma- match last night between Wolves and Fulham and still thinks that VR is helping and enhancing the game, honestly, they need, they need to have a serious look at themselves. And the people I'm looking at myself and I'm having a serious one, as you recommend. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. Sin bins. What about Martial at the weekend? The VAR not worked there? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I hate when Ruby comes in with his facts. It's no, really annoying. Well, but you can always back it up with one or two little things. But then you can also on flip the it's flip side. Change. See, people don't like change, Alan. You're so old fashioned. I thought you'd be accepting of change. No, I'm. All, I don't mind change. The only time, and I've been, I've said this for years. The only thing with VAR, and this was the problem last night, mm. and it's and it's the problem with even at the weekend, is anything that's subjective. I've no interest in if it's definitive like the offsides and they're able to draw the lines and if it's the goal line absolutely brilliant but last night was the prime example where the referee is on the pitch last night gives his decision for the penalty uh, the first penalty for it was the tackle on Tom Kearney so the first penalty for Fulham gives his decision Stuart Atwell looks at it and decides not to tell him to come over and look at the monitor yet then when the replays went back and showed the actual um, footage of it now there was three different angles and it depends on which one they're looking at as well it's just so confusing because it's the referee's opinion on was the pitch was it a penalty or was it not a penalty and initially I thought it was when you looked at initially was it or wasn't it <laughs> it wasn't no way was it wasn't but then what did VAR do so the, this is what I'm saying so the VAR didn't actually send a referee to go over and look at it the VAR just looked at it himself and agreed with the referee's on pitch decision and just let it go without him going over to the monitor so, so that's so that's a major problem. Gary O'Neill, the Wolves manager, said afterwards that bad refereeing decisions are affecting reputations and livelihoods. Mm-hmm. That was after the game. He said that the referee Michael Salisbury admitted the decision to award the first of two penalties against Wolves was an error and believes four big decisions went against the visitors. And last night, Gary O'Neill said, "Maybe tonight has finally turned me against VAR. The impact that you're having on my reputation and the club and people's livelihoods is massive." of we should be able to talk about the game and not decisions but unfortunately we can't I think it's a really complex issue I've always been for VAR but I think it's causing problems at the moment and VAR cost us there 100% and he spoke so well Marie because mm. he this has come against him three or four times this season similar situations like that with penalties yet he was really calm he said he had a grown up conversation with the referee the referee actually admitted that first one that we're talking about that he got it wrong but he didn't get the help from Stuart Atwell but the problem is I don't want the help because leave the referee ref it 
unless it's a blatant howler like we saw with what it all kicked off this conversation was you go back to the on rehand ball and we're all sitting at home and everyone is saying this is an absolute disgrace a complete injustice fair enough for the likes of that but they're intervening with every little incident every little bit of contact everything has been questioned it's gone so clinical and sterile that the likes of that one even with Martial on Sunday where Ashley Young like he, he he puts his foot out and when you slow it down yes it looks like there's contact made but it's not a blatant howler so it's ruining the a, game was it was it a penalty yeah but it's ruining <laughs> was, the game did Martial deserve a yellow card oh no 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 so no. then VAR intervened and was right so last night VAR didn't intervene when it should have mm. so that's the Premier League's fault that they're not applying it right but I would say in the world we live in where there are cameras absolutely everywhere and people can see absolutely everything they should be using it right so using it wrong is one thing but VAR should be there but but even on the one Ruby last night where you're saying it's the Premier League getting it wrong it's actually an individual getting it wrong it's Stuart Atwell up in the, up in the box So it's what's get- his directive should we heard them the last time in the truck there's yeah. that many directors it's impossible whereas Michael Salisbury then the ref that gave, that gave it on the pitch had a chat with Gary O'Neill and he actually said Gary O'Neill said this in the interview that he said when I discussed this with Salisbury and he admitted that he got it wrong he said I didn't get the help from up in the box so he should have been sent to the screen but then to be fair when I went back to the studio and this is how difficult it is and, and this is the problem when everything is slowed down it took three or four different angles from Sky and Carragher in the studio the first couple to show that it actually looks like a penalty then the third one is clear cut that there was minimal contact if any um, so the game was fine where it was Ruby the game was absolutely fine unless it's a blatant howler like we say with the Henri one just leave it be because if I was a referee now starting off I think the referees are being undermined because it's still being refed from upstairs in a box as we saw again last night. Instead of letting the ref make the decisions, he's going to get maybe the odd one wrong. If he gets an absolute howler wrong, step in and help him. But if he gets the odd little one, whatever, which which mistakes happen like we've seen for years and years and years in football, let it be. Maybe just take away the ref. Big loudspeaker. But, but I had sitting out in the truck. But that's where it's headed, Ruby, and that's what that's my fear for the likes of that lad last night, Michael Salisbury. Like all refs, and we all criticise them, but they're all doing the best they can. I have never questioned the ref's integrity. I all think they're out making an honest decision, whether to get it right or wrong. It's always an honest decision. But it's gone to the stage now where they're being undermined so much that we won't even have a referee because it's going to be refed from a fella up in the box. But one of the things that was prompting um, VAR to be introduced was the way that players were reacting and the surrounding the referee and the dissent. So if this, these sin bins that are, are going to come in, so it's for cynical fouls and for dissent. So they want only the team captain to be able to approach the referee during the game. So all that sort of stuff would help. I, I don't. I think that has stopped me because of our, as you say. I don't think. I think there's a lot bigger issues than bringing in simbins for those reasons, as you say. I don't see that as being a major problem in the game when we watch them. The only thing I see being a major problem now is what. All, the only thing we seem to be discussing after every match is these decisions, and it's it's so infuriating. Um, it's just it's not the game that we've all kind of. That's probably because most of the decisions are more interesting than half the games. No, 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 no. <laughs> the game is fine, Ruby. The game is fine. And like everything, you're going to get good games, bad games, like a good race, a bad race, and horse racing, a good cricket match, a bad cricket match, whatever. The spectacle is fine. It's been ruined by... by, And I don't want to even say incompetence by, by these 
referees at the moment because it's the subjective decisions that gets me because again I'm sitting at home with my view I'm sure Maria's sitting having her view on it you were sitting having your Martial view on Sunday the referee's up in the box having his view if you take all that out of it and just keep it to the offside with the lines keep it to the goal line technology anything that's definitive and take out this subjective stuff because that's the problem I think Well Mark Langdon of the Racing Post joins us now on the line Mark what's your view on VAR? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was never a fan of it in in, in the first place. Um, I just think that football is um, it. The, the, the laws of football were not kind of they they they, they, they weren't meant for this forensic investigation somebody was saying to me what you want is forensic evidence to be used at the old bailey not at old trafford and i think that that's absolutely um right you know it's um i think referees used to use common sense they got some things right they uh, got some things wrong but i think most people just um preferred it that way really now we've got these penalty um decisions particularly and they make such a massive difference because you've got nearly an 80 percent chance of scoring a goal from a penalty and they're being given for the most like silliest little fouls and um i i i just really don't like it i think it's changed uh, um the, the the game that that people sort of knew and loved and i also think that you know the in stadium experience for supporters um is is even worse than it is at home and, and that can't be right um you know, the, the people at a stadium are the only people inside that stadium that have paid to be there. Um, everyone else is being paid um, to be in the stadium. And yet they're getting the worst experience. We've got, um, you know, the, the, the potential now to sort of keep changing the laws as well um, to kind of, you know, keep up with VAR. And heard about the Simbin there. I think the Simbin is a ill-thought-out um, kind of... Uh, solution, if you like, because all I think that will do is lead to teams, if they're down to one player less for 10 minutes, is time waste, play defensive football um, and just run the clock down and actually be an even worse spectacle than, than we've got now. Um, you know, I watch the championship a lot and, um, you know, that seems fine <laughs> without VAR. Um, yeah, I, I, I would like to go back. I don't think we will go back, um, but I, I, therefore I'd, I agree with Alan. I'd rather just use it for, for fewer um, decisions rather than more that's what I find it's just it's the intervention on everything like literally everything every little bit of contact and the one thing I, and I've always done this for years and years and years and even when I played you know by the player's reaction if there's something really bad the players will be up in arms they'll react or whatever generally like even though the players are out to maybe gain an edge like every sports person they're fairly honest enough lads as well and you know when you're playing playing on the pitch and you know when something happens if it's a really bad tackle or someone's gone in to really nail someone you know by the reaction straight away and I always go by that and and when you see some of these little kind of minimal contacts like that one like no one's up in arms over them no one is going bananas and that's when you know like it's not really a howler as I say whereas you go back to the point I made about the Henri one Shea Givens face gave it all away he's running to the ref everybody knew knows there's something wrong here then you look at the replay and everyone say this is absolutely disgraceful we don't see those we, kind of we, we had a conversation one night and I, I swear now I'd have to go back to the archives and look it up but I'm fairly certain yourself and Stephen Kelly told me that you were taught to go down yet not told everyone's told. honest <laughs> told yeah. yet everyone's fairly honest well they are Ruby like yes, you're are. diving and you're 
thought told to dive, no. but you're fairly honest. <laughs> I, I find this awfully confusing now. I swear, I, I, I can't. I don't know. No, it's been are. a long day for me now, but it's going over my head anyway. No, they are the player, and I you go off the players' reaction. They know when something's like a major injustice or there's something bad, or if it's a bad challenge, a bad tackle, they'll be up in arms. Like we 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 just see. Is there more injustices because of VAR than bad refereeing decisions before? More which injustices, things going wrong. Just more bad decisions because, but there's probably because everything's been looked at, Marie. Like as as Mark said, forensically, and that's that's the problem. Every little in, football's a contact sport. There's going are, to be. Are you going to stop watching it? I, I find it hard. I really do. I find it hard. Oh, that's a good question. Answer the question. Didn't ask you to find it hard. Ask you're going to stop watching it. I'll never stop watching it. But if they bring in like the stuff I was reading today, where the VAR at IFAB at the moment are looking at corners and yellow cards and all this, like then that that that's not football. Then the game the, the game is gone. Then if they start like it's bad enough where it's at at the moment that I think they they, they need a serious rethink about where to use it and that's what I'm saying about just keep it for the definitive things we can live with the odd error from a referee if it's a howler help him absolutely because as you said Ruby, there's, there's cameras everywhere but you don't need to be jumping down the referee's throat for every little incident and undermining him completely like why would you want to be a referee now because you're, you're not doing a job you're just out there to be like the fella that blows the whistle but, <laughs> but whether you get it right or wrong he's going to send you to the screen anyway Oh, it's a tough station, it's a tough station. Shakhtar Donetsk are one up against Antwerp already in the early games. Lazio have managed to keep it nil-nil so far, Mark. Half an hour gone. They'll do well to stay that way, will they? Yeah, I, I mean, Celtic are, I, I think, competing reasonably well um, for that first half an hour. Lazio not being in good form uh, domestically, not playing their sort of top goal scorer in Mobile either. He hasn't been in the best of form, but I was still surprised... Um, to see him not in that starting eleven, and uh, yeah, I mean Celtic are relatively comfortable given how kind of bad they've been, um, you know, away from home in the Champions League or probably in the Champions League full stop, home and away. I think they'll, I think they'll be relatively happy with that first half an hour. I know they need to win, um, but they, you know um, they, they've they've done okay so far, but it has been you know that's been the story of their Champions League, isn't it, where they, they've played well in parts and then either switched off or, you know, mainly in moments that they've kind of found themselves losing games so far. Alan, you've one eye on it. Is Liam Scales playing? He's playing, yeah, doing fine. Um, as Mark said, they're holding their own Celtic um, for the first half an hour. Brendan Rodgers will be delighted. Uh, they obviously expect to be under the caution, under pressure, but the fact that it's still in law, Liam Scales is playing, he's doing quite well, they'll be happy. Big game for Newcastle tonight, Mark, against PSG. Obviously, they won the 4-1 the first game against PSG, but two losses away to Dortmund. Have Newcastle under a bit of pressure, don't they? Um, yeah, they really are under it. I think when they beat um, PSG, they probably wouldn't have thought they'd be in this position because you know Dortmund was supposed to be the weakest team in, the, in a very tough group. They were still supposed to be um, the weakest team, but it hasn't worked out like that for Newcastle I just think they've got a lot of injuries at the moment I know they recorded a fantastic win against Chelsea um, at the weekend but away from home you know they saw that performance before the international break against Bournemouth when they were really bad um, they didn't play well away to Dortmund they didn't play well away to Milan when they got a, a nil, nil nil draw where um, you know Milan uh, dominated them for most of that game so they've got a really step up away from home PSG usually very good uh, when, when they play in Paris scored five goals five different goal scorers at the weekend in the um, in, in the win over Monaco so they're looking good they've got a couple of injuries PSG themselves but nowhere near 
as many as Newcastle, I would expect Paris Saint-Germain to win this game. The, the, probably the positive for Newcastle is the pressure is also on PSG. And I don't know how many times in the last 10 years we've seen PSG under pressure and they haven't dealt with it very well. Alan, Newcastle had to bring on or use some younger players at the weekend, Alex Murphy being one of them. Has he any chance of getting a, a look in tonight? Um, depending on the injury situation, I don't think so. But he'd, part, but he'd be part of the squad. Uh, the fact that he came on at the weekend, we mentioned that. We picked him out at the start of the season off the back of his pre-season, Ruby. So it's taken him a bit of time to make, make that appearance, but they do have high hopes for him. The injuries have helped the situation, and sometimes that's what you need as a young kid trying to make your way. You get a break, uh, you get a couple of injuries, you stake your claim, and you're in all of a sudden. So you have to grab those opportunities when they come, but it's a huge game uh, away to PSG. I was at the last... PSG game in the Champions League and I wasn't overly impressed with them AC Milan who I think AC Milan even though they got to the semi-final last year I think the, the team to have this year is a better team um, and there was a lot more energy and excitement about them Leao was back as well and he was brilliant that night but I was, wasn't overly impressed with PSG so I think Newcastle have a chance although as Mark said PSG are very good at home I think they've won their last six league games as well at home but I do give Newcastle a chance I think Eddie Howe I've raved about Eddie Howe for a long time with the job he's done there I think he's done an amazing job and that group that's the game of the night and then the other game with AC Milan and Dortmund it's still very much up for grabs with the four teams that's the exciting group yeah it is Mark only two points separating third place Milan and then group leaders Dortmund so it should be an absolute cracker yeah it should um, that man Liao is missing um, or has been missing anyway for AC Milan in recent weeks they've got quite a lot of injuries at the moment um, Milan which is causing them issues both domestically and in Europe. But I do think home advantage is worth more in the Champions League than it is domestically. San Siro, one of the absolute cathedrals um, of football, that will be um, some atmosphere tonight. And I think home advantage might just edge it um, towards the Italians. Like I say, I, I felt that Dortmund were the weakest of the four teams in this group coming into it. They're top at the moment, but... I still feel like there's a vulnerability to them, as we saw a few weeks ago when um, Harry Kane and Bayern Munich sort of really put them to the sword. So um, I, I'd probably go sort of edge towards both home teams in in, in, in what is the best group in, in the Champions League. Adam, Mark reckons that the home advantage is more significant in a Champions League game. Would you agree? And if so, why? In certain grounds, I think it is, and especially, as he said, in the San Siro, which is absolutely, it's the best experience I've ever had at a football match. It's absolutely incredible, Ruby, especially on those European nights. And even with an average team, and maybe that's harsh calling them an average team. They're a good team. As I said, I think the team to have this year is better than what they had last year, because I saw them last year live as well, and I wasn't one bit impressed against Spurs. But again that point about the home advantage that nearly drags them over the line and especially it did against PSG because the game was very much in the balance but uh, Giroud got a brilliant header to go 2-1 up but the atmosphere it's hard to describe what it's like it's absolutely incredible and I suppose the intensity of the atmosphere was ramped up that night as well because Donnarumma was back and he was almost like the hate figure that night because um, the, the transfer that he made and AC Milan obviously got no money for him and uh, they were really out to get him that night so it was almost as if it was ramped up even further than what it normally is so I definitely think in certain grounds around Europe it can definitely be an advantage and for AC Milan there's no better atmosphere for me in Europe than the San Siro it's incredible there's lots of talk about uh, Galatasaray and welcome to hell yeah, and yeah. what that's going to be like it is amazing the way that teams market as Alan said particularly in, in certain grounds can can make it a fortress on these European nights make their grounds 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen it um, throughout. I mean, if you look at sort of, you go back to Manchester United um, in that last game against Copenhagen. I mean, you know, not a team that you would necessarily associate with, um, you know, having kind of, you know, an intimidating atmosphere per se. And yet it, it really was. Um, and, you know, once they got on a roll, it was very difficult for United to kind of stem the, 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 the tide at sort of the end of, of both halves of, of that game. I'd say it's sort of, as I was, it, it sort of, it is about, it's ground dependent. I mean, the, the game Lazio against Celtic and all season, the Lazio fans have not been bothering turning up and it's not um, full to capacity at the Stadio Olimpico for, for tonight's game. Um, I, I think you'll get other ones. I mean, like Barcelona have not got a very good home record at the moment. They've got Porto um, tonight and are not playing their games currently um, at the uh, at Camp Nou, they're playing at the Olympic Stadium. Their European record is sort of average, I would say, and, and probably poor for a team of their standing. But um, you look at somebody like Man City, I mean, they're, they're just almost unstoppable at home. I suppose you could say that about them in the Premier League um, as well. But in Europe, they're um, absolutely relentless at the Etihad. And there, there's the ground. It's like a library. The Etihad, even yeah. Saturday, they're, yeah. play, they're, they're playing against Liverpool yeah. at the weekend, the top of the table clash, if you like, two best teams. No atmosphere. I was in it three years ago. It was three or two, few years. I couldn't believe how bad it was. Uh, desperate, because that's just manufactured, that club, you know, in terms of all these famous stadiums that we're talking about with the incredible mm. atmospheres. Have I been, went to Liverpool, Roma. Liverpool, amazing. Like, Well, I went to the Roma for the Liverpool game, okay. and that was amazing. Like, yeah. The Roma fans were just... And they've been built on history and yeah. heritage over the years. Man City are just manufactured. And even the ground itself, it's almost like it's just plopped in this university campus with no kind of history mm. and heritage around it. Um, and you look at them it's too blue it's too blue I went in there and got a headache it's, it's just too blue <laughs> they're lucky to have a good team as Marx is that can wipe the floor with everyone yeah, I went to the Real Madrid game and the team like, the it's not the atmosphere that's getting them over yeah. the line <laughs> Sean that night uh, Mark any other games that we should be looking at tonight because there's a there's a clatter of them yeah, there are. I mean, I think that there's there are some interesting games. I mean, I just mentioned that Barcelona v Porto one. Interesting in as much as um, Xavi's under a bit of pressure, actually. Um, didn't win at the weekend, drew 1-1 with Rio Vicano. They lost to Shakhtar Donetsk in the last match day. They lost that game to Real Madrid as well before the international break. Um, so um, he, he could definitely do with... A result, and Barcelona have, have not done anything in Europe in the last couple of years. So I think it's important for them um, that they, they manage to come out on on top and win that group. So that might be one game uh, to keep an eye on. Um, also, I mean, I, I'm going to go a little bit, uh, I, I suppose, uh, away from the norm here. Young boys, um, their game against Red Star Belgrade. Both of these two teams can't keep clean sheets. So I'm expecting a lot of goals in that game, and it matters a lot because third place is up for grabs and you, you know whoever wins it gets Europa League okay. It'll be a big game for young boys in Red Star Belgrade Mark Langdon thanks a million for taking our call Alan Cole you're going to stay with us and we're going to take a quick break Game on on 2FM Welcome back. It is now time to turn our attention to racing and very luckily we have Ruby Walsh here talking to uh, us which helps when we're talking racing Sometimes <laughs> When you're listening to me which is rare <laughs> So Ruby, how has the winter racing been so far? It's going well, Marie. Obviously, there was a new initiative this year in Ireland. They moved around a few fixtures. So you had a double header at Navan two weekends ago. You had a double header in Punchestown last weekend and this weekend. And you've a 
double header at Ferry House. So there were a lot of fixtures move around, a bit of an amalgamation. They made it three winter weekends. Now, Down Royal was initially supposed to be a little bit earlier, but because of waterlogging, it ended up becoming the fourth weekend and the first one. And um, I think it's been a really good period for National Hunt Racing. There's been lots of exciting races, lots of good horses out. Um, it's been dominated by Gordon Elliott and Willie Mullins, but you'd expect that, more so even Gordon Elliott than Willie Mullins. And uh, Jack Kennedy and, and Paul Townend have been reaping the main rewards of that. And you were out chatting to Paul Townend today? I was in Willie's this morning and had a chat with Paul Townend and uh, he was in good form. And yeah, look, it's been a busy period for them, but it's, it's the time of year that really excites jockeys and he was in good form. Okay, well, let's hear from him. Game on. Racing. By mid-November, as you would expect, Paul, the National Hunt season is truly up and running. There's been good, bad and ugly. Thankfully for you, there hasn't been too much bad or ugly. A little bit of disappointment here and there, but we'll start with the good. And I would say Statement was very good last weekend. Statement was very good. Um, He's a lovely horse to have an association with because, you know, Bear getting beaten in Cheltenham last year, he turns up and he wins. And... um, He's so, so straightforward to ride as well that uh, you can get to the start to make up a plan when you get there, which is a, a nice privilege to have. He looked an even, uh, not even, but he looked to be a faster horse on Sunday than he showed at any point last year. Um, possibly, yeah. He um, yeah, he quickened up smartly in Leprosan a couple of days as well and he beat Honeysuckle especially and um, today he beat Fawban and Charge when we missed the last. He, you know, I was always able to keep the boys in control behind me. So, um, yeah, he's... I, I, I think he's a smart horse. He, he stays and he quickens, so it's a sign of a good one. It most certainly is. I suppose the ordinary for you so far this year has, was definitely Gallop in the Champ last Sunday in Blackluster. Yeah, very much so, to be honest. From very early in the race, I was never really happy. Um, got some way content down the back straight, but when we turned across for the fourth and third last, I knew something he'd. I knew we'd have to get down and dirty and something would have to happen for me to win, to be honest. And uh, it didn't. He probably ran well to finish where he did, considering the feel I was getting off him. But, look, it's it's disappointing is, is, is probably the right word for it. But they are race horses. And, uh, look, he's, he's we got around in one piece and, and we'll, we'll, try and, we'll try again. It's a strange feeling when you're looking across at what your opposition and they're going way better than you, when you expect to be going way better than them. What were you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking exactly that. How, how come they're going so easy? I knew we weren't going fast, um, but I just wasn't. I was never happy on him. I couldn't get him on the bridle, and JJ was doing a half speed in front of me. Patrick was doing the same, and like as I say, I got content down the back, but never happy. Never got in control of the race and um, that's what I kind of when I was going through the race before and that's what I, I was hoping would happen and unfortunately it didn't there are no plans for him yet but you knew haven't lost faith there's no doubt about that but do you think plans will have to change from a little bit between now and Cheltenham or would you just stick to the same routine as you had last year um, I just <laughs> we'll leave that one to Willie he's a habit of doing the right thing but um, look he's we definitely haven't given up on him um, and it was just I thought the heart he showed to, to stay going from the feeling I was getting off him was uh, that there was still a little bit of fire in his belly but it was just hard work up to that so I've no doubt Willie will um, assess him and I, I have full faith in Willie getting him back into the kind of form he had him in last spring There the Marquine is but there's been some exciting performances as well and I suppose none more so than Gallic Warrior last weekend Exciting anyway yeah <laughs> um, 
hadn't a whole lot of control for a whole lot of the race but uh, it was pretty exceptional the standard of horse that he left behind so far so early in the race and as I said he didn't stop pulling until he got to the third last so um, it was a matter of just popping down over the last two but he that was brilliant to see that he can go out and do that but to be honest going forward he'll have to relax and be a bit more controlled you can't just keep going out and doing that but I think he will as the season progressed last year he settled down and ended up going three miles in, in Punchestown so I'd be hoping that'll just knock the fizz out of him and um, that he'll be a little more controllable after Speaking of control Fasa Viga looked to be far more controllable than Navin the previous weekend yeah, it was uh, definitely so. Um, and again, it was his first run of the year, so he could have been entitled to be a little bit fresh and, and gassy. But um, we, we, we went pretty steady up there, and um, I was able to just get him to pop away. And when the race started down the home straight, he threw a couple of big jumps and um, quickened away nicely from the back of the last. There are two decent beginner chases. You won novice hurdlers, maybe it's for me and Atlantique. Would they have been the two most impressive? Yeah, probably. Def- yeah, um, it's for me. It was a bit fresh, I suppose, as well. But um, set a good standard uh, bumper as, as a bumper horse last year. Um, and Il Atlantic, I like him a lot. The ground was very heavy in Gorn and um, got the job done nicely. So I think he's an exciting one for the year to come. Yeah. This weekend sees the action move to Ferry House, the Hatton's Grace Hurdle last year's top novice or novice hurdler even Impere Pass will make his seasonal reappearance. How much will he have to do to put him in your mind to be ahead of statement? You'd have Answer to, that one. He'd have to win first. <laughs> um, hopefully we won't have to make that decision and it'd be nice to keep the two of them right and let the two of them be at that level. Um, you know, that they, they will meet at some stage but um, I won't be Nailing. I, I won't be. I, I won't be making any decision now. Anyway, and hopefully he can step up to the table, the top table, and um, definitely throw his name in the hat. But it's it's his first run out of out of novice company, and um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. He's exciting though. He is exciting. The following week could be El Fabiano, and before you know it, it'll be Christmas. Does this time of year excite you every bit as much as it always did? Yeah, probably. We're fortunate to have. Uh, looks like a. a serious team of horses here so um, this is the the exciting time of year and trying to I suppose you're it comes hot and heavy every weekend and you always have an eye to what could be what down the line for the, the, the springtime so um, yeah look hopefully we can firstly stay in one piece ourselves and keep the horses healthy and try and uh, try and do half of what we did last year Half, half what you did last year would be a great year but is Jack Kennedy disappearing into the distance in front of you in the jockey shop and you're making you anyway touch you are you just happy to play the slow game oh I hadn't even noticed it really yeah. <laughs> um, no look that'll sort itself out um, the championship isn't won until punches down so we'll, we'll wait and see he has a good lead on me um but we'll just have to we'll have to stay in one piece unfortunately for Jack he got injured last year and it, you know it could could happen either of us this year as well so uh, the championship is in the back of it's, it's always in the back of your mind but it's it's you know it, it'll sort itself out and hopefully we, we can get a good run at it from here to, to Punchison Game on Racing Good bit of rivalry between Jack Kennedy and Paul Friendly rivalry I would say Marie but I'd say also the knowledge that um, 
for a jump jockey you have to stay in one piece and injuries around the corner for either um, so but it is I mean Jack is on 69 um, he's 22 or 3 in front of Paul and that's 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 a lot of winners that takes a fair bit of riding and obviously you know Jack has had a career that has been how do you say blemished with injury he's had a lot of injuries I think he's an incredible young man the way he Cursed. comes back yeah but he's incredible strength of mind the way he keeps coming back and the form he's in at the moment 15 winners in the last fortnight 27 winners I think in November that's incredible riding yeah, they've had some start having the Ruby Gordon Elliott stable and Jack, as you say. But just one thing for me, Ruby, over the weekend, and I know there's been a bit of a bit of chat about it. I don't think there's been loads of chat, but maybe a little bit because obviously we saw two of the main protagonists for the Gold Cup over the weekend, and they disappointed. Would you say over the definitely weekend? definitely disappointed? Um, and, and the conversation and the question now has been asked: What does the Gold Cup take out of a horse in terms of trying to come back the next year and trying to win it? Yeah, it is difficult, but that's sticking at the top, trying to stay at the very top. And maybe your expectations uh, become higher of a Gold Cup winner and the horse that was running up in Brave Man's game. He got beaten at Weatherby by Gentleman's game. And, you know, shortly after that, he reappeared at Haydock. And it looks like Haydock was sort of an afterthought for Brave Man's game. And that's the way he ran, Alan. He never looked like winning. Protectorat was going too fast for him. And when he kind of got in charge on the second circuit uh, Royal Pagai was going easier on him and that's not really not right and even when you watch the John Durkin on Sunday Gallop and the Champ never jumped or got into a rhythm like Fast or Slow did or Appreciated or even Blue Lord he was the one horse in the race you didn't want to be on yet he was the favourite so for whatever reason you definitely give Gallop and the Champ the benefit of the doubt for, for one blip you'd like to see him go and put in a good performance the next day and maybe it is the Gold Cup and it can it can empty horses and take a bit of getting over but that's elite sport isn't it even you never went back to back did you on the grey cow though no um, but I didn't have to do the running the horse did he was only up on his back <laughs> um, <laughs> he took that as an insult to be fair not an insult but it's it, like, he's to, trying to slag me but I know what you're saying I know Den what you're man. saying Dead man got Dead man won in the middle I should have went back to back you're right um, but Look, Cotto was a better horse definitely the following year, but they're, 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 they're animals. They can't talk to you. I mean, a player can tell you that they're fatigued or a bit tired or a little under the weather, but horses, you're, you're trying to judge that off your eye and make the best judgment call you can. Mm. Okay, well, no doubt we'll be talking about Well, it'll be interesting that, to watch yeah, as the, the seasons while. go on, yeah, because, and there, we had the chat last week, Ruby, Harry Cobden goes the other race course and gets four winners. Yeah, four-timer in, in, in Ascot and I, think, I suppose the talking point from Ascot was Shishkin refusing to start um, for whatever got into his head he had no interest, he was like the horse in the Hamlet cigar ad, he just was going nowhere um, you know, and he's entered this weekend at Newcastle where he might run in the fighting fifth on the same card, you'll have Constitution Hill taking on Love Envoy and then you'll have Fairy House on Sunday where you have the Royal Bond, the Drinmore and the Hatton's Grace a, a brilliant card at Fairy House um, always gets a good crowd and you'll have Impere Pass taking on to Hoopoo and Irish Point. So, yeah, it'll be great racing again this weekend. The one there, obviously, you mentioned Constitution Hill, who's an absolute superstar. Stateman is the only one that we've seen come anywhere near close. And we impressed with Stateman at the weekend. I was really impressed with him. I thought he was far more professional this year in the Morgiana than he was last year. Um, I don't know for what reason, but I, got, I should have asked Paul this morning. He he didn't feel he turned up in Cheltenham last year. And he okay. wasn't for one minute suggesting he he would beat Constitution Hill. But he maintained he should have run a lot closer to, to him than he did. And I thought he looked really solid last Saturday afternoon at Punchestown. 
Interesting. So that the hope is he will run a lot better and go closer to him this Actually, year. You always have to have hope, don't you? Yeah. You have to take. You can't shy away from one or be afraid of one horse. So um, look, Imperial Pass might improve to also be a horse that's capable of taking on uh, Constitution Hill, and you might find that out at the weekend. But uh, Gordon has some big chances in there against Willie again. Uh, to Hoopoo and Irish Point found a fifty versus Charge in the Drinmore Royal Bond. That could throw up a result maybe, but uh, it'll be cracking racing. And he had the Coral Gold Cup in Newbury as well. I feel like I should have been taking a few notes there. The national, anyway. no, the mini festivals are great, Marie. Take right. it on board. Get on, get on board. Okay, well, it's half time in the Champions League games. The early ones, Lazio nil, Celtic nil, Shakhtar Donetsk are still leading Antwerp by one goal to nil. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. We'll be hearing from Tiger Woods very shortly. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Tiger Woods makes his eagerly awaited comeback this week at the Hero World Challenge and he had a lot to say in a press conference today both on his injury and on the PGA merger with Live Golf. Game on. Golf. And as far as the competition, obviously making your first start since the Masters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how does the game feel coming into this week? Uh, well, yeah, my game feels rusty. Um, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't played in a while. Um, so uh, I, you know, I had my sub Taylor fused and so... You know, it just, uh, I, I'm excited to compete and play, and I'm just as curious as all of you are to see what happens, because uh, I haven't done it in a while. And I, I can tell you this, that I don't have any of the pain that I had at Augusta or pre that in my ankle. Now, well, other parts are taking the brunt of the load, so I'm a little bit more sore in other areas, but uh, the ankle's good, so... Um, that success, that surgery was a success. And you mentioned not having the pain that you had at Augusta. Mm-hmm. Will it be the same pre-round routine and, and post-round routines that you were going through? Um, I, as far as the commitment to playing, probably after I caddied for, with Charlie and was able to recover each and every day like that. I, and people don't, free, uh, don't realize I was still lifting and still doing a bunch of other things too alongside of that. So in conjunction with that and the endurance part of it, all my beach walks at home, um, just like just the accumulation. Of how can I recover? Can I can I keep progressing at the same time, right? And I was hitting golf balls a lot, trying to get Charlie ready for the event, and then post event, uh, I started feeling, you know what, I, I can probably do this, and so why not? Um, I talked to the committee, and the committee of one was able to give me a spot. <laughs> Go to Steve in front. Tiger, how concerned are you walking ninety holes? Uh, you know, Steve, I, I'm not concerned at all about, about walking it. It's more the, uh, I, as I said, I, I don't have any of the ankle pain that I had, you know, with the, the, the hardware that's been uh, placed in my, my foot. Uh, that's all gone, but it's the other parts of my body, you know, my knee hurts, my back. Um, the forces go somewhere else. Uh, just like when I had my back fused, uh, the forces got to go somewhere. So the, it's up the chain. Uh, so as, as I said, I'm just as curious of as with all of you, what's going to happen? I haven't done this in a while. Obviously, that surgery quality of life issue is probably much better now. Yes. But I'm just curious if does it will that surgery help your golf in the long run, or does it pre- pre- uh, present more challenges even uh, given what you had done? Um, I would say that the procedures I've had had done, you know, post. The last couple of years, I've had a, n- a number of them, and at some point in time, I was going to have to get my ankle replaced or fused. 
and that timetable was sped up. I, <laughs> they, they weren't expecting me to put as many as many forces into that ankle as I when I hit drivers and all, and so the the I think the doctors were, were surprised by that, and the ankle just went and it was bone on bone, and that's why you saw me, you know, in limping and not feeling very good and. The only way to fix that was either to get a replace or fused, and we chose the, the fusion, the subtalar fusion, and put hardware in there. And uh, hey, the, the process, the, the next part's the hard part. It's the six months of doing nothing. That that's the hard part. And uh, you know that uh, then the first couple of months were, were really rough. But uh, I've, unfortunately, I've had the experience. I've gone through it before, and um, I'm here on the on the good side now. Tiger, I'm sorry to kind of go back, but we haven't really spoken with you. What was your reaction to the June 6th framework announcement? Well, I going back to that, um, it, I would say that my reaction was surprised. Um, just like I'm sure a lot of the players were taken back by it, what had happened. And so quickly and without any input or any kind of information about it. And it was just thrown out there. And uh, I was very... Uh, surprised that the, the process was what it was and we were very frustrated what happened and we took steps going forward to ensure that the player involvement um, was not going to have we were not going to be left out of the process like we were and so uh, part of that, that process was putting me on the board and accepting that position. As part of the board, are you pleased now with the direction of the tour and since you're part of the decision-making process? I'm very I'm pleased at the process and how it's evolved. Uh, also frustrated in some of the slowness and the, the governance change that we want to have happen. And December 31st is coming up very quickly. And so uh, there's the timetable there that we would like to implement some of these changes that have not taken place. Um, the the guys, uh, all the player directors have spent so many hours and have worked tireless hours and to, to make sure that um, we have the, the, the best deal for all the players that are involved and in all the entire PGA Tour. Do you enjoy the part of being on the board and, you know, the, in those kind of meetings? Well, I, I enjoy the fact that I'm able to make an impact differently than just hitting a golf ball. Um, I've made an impact on the PGA Tour for a number of years, hitting a, hitting a golf ball and doing that. Uh, I can have a, I think, a, a lasting impact um, by doing by doing what I'm doing, by being on the board and um, being a part of the, the future of the PGA Tour. The Tiger Jay Monahan's taken a lot of heat since since June 6. What's your assessment of the job he's done since then? And, and secondly, you mentioned the team golf aspect of it. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion? on Team Golf's place in the future ecosystem? I think Jay has been a, a part of the, the direction. He understands that um, what has what happened prior to that can't happen again, and it won't happen again, um, not with the players that are involved and not with the, the player directors having the, the role that we have. Um, now, as far as Team Golf, there I think there's, there's a way that in which we can all benefit from Team Golf. It's just how do we do it? And we're, we're trying to figure out that process now. And we're, we have been. We've been doing it for, for months, trying to figure out how that all works. 
what, that, what does that landscape even look like? And um, where do we play? Uh, and what impact does it have on our PG Tour schedule? And I think that's something that um, we have focused on and uh, we, we don't take lightly. Is there a path back to the PGA Tour for the players who join Live? And if so, what would that look like? As far as a pathway, we're still working on that. Um, that's part of the, the deal we're, we're working through is trying to find a, a path, um, whatever, whatever that looks like. There's so many different scenarios. Uh, <laughs> that's why I said there's a lot of sleepless hours trying to figure that out and a lot of um, participation of, of the players and then what does that look like. Game on. Golf. Tiger Woods, back on the scene again. Ruby, listening to him talking about his injuries makes me think, why would you put yourself through that? Uh, yeah, age is the one thing that I was looking, listening to him, thinking, yeah, well, my ankle doesn't work anymore, so the pressure goes somewhere else and it goes somewhere else and he's not as flexible as he once was, but that's just age, catching up at everyone. Um, I did find it interesting. I was nodding in total agreement here. The hardest part of it was six months doing nothing. That is the hardest part of being injured for any sports person. It's not the pain of the injury. It's the six months twiddling your thumbs. Uh, there's that, and that will never change, unfortunately. And after that then, as regards the politics of golf, um, he said everything without saying anything. I, I kind of felt... Uh, kind of reminded me of what Rory said a fortnight ago and two days later Rory was gone. But uh, Tiger... I don't think he said anything. I, I was here scribbling notes right away, thinking, <laughs> but there was nothing. I'm reading my own notes, thinking he he was brilliant. He was like he'd make a brilliant politician because he answered every question without giving an answer. Yeah, they're trained to that as well, though, aren't they? It's like here's he's the, good at it. Yeah, here's the answer. Uh, he was really good at it. He dragged so, it out there to. Well, now to be fair, he'd, uh, he's had a lot of uh, success at hiding things and uh, concealing the truth and all the rest. So I'm not surprised that he's well able to. Just been a bit of a yarn there. Yeah, he was good at it anyway. Uh, pathway, tour <laughs> pathway back for live players. <laughs> I didn't believe. Quick, move on. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I to tell you, you, you where exactly I'm going to put the shovel to step away from this hole. Were you um, ever weary of the media, Ruby, when you were giving interviews? I always was. Oh, um, yeah, and you were afraid of tripping yourself up, and you become wary of what you say because all anyone want not anyone most journalists don't but all editors want is a headline mm-hmm. and it's a headline that most people read and one wrong word gives a headline most people don't read below the headline mm-hmm. and yeah of course you were never answering questions doing exactly what Tiger Woods was doing talking round in circles keeping <laughs> it going as long as you could trying to bore people to death so they wouldn't even remember what you said were you and grumpy on purpose? it was the best way make people afraid to come near you yeah. work a tree but do you find did. do you find now Ruby and it's funny um, now you're on the other side of the fence and I suppose I'm on that fence as well but when you speak to say for example you were with Paul today do you find because this is what I got when I used to do a couple of interviews with football lads they're more inclined to open up to you than a journalist and that's nothing against the journalist but they just feel maybe a more of a safe space with you or a no I, I don't I don't know and I wouldn't have the same depth and knowledge to even to ask questions to hit the points that you probably should have asked as an interviewer but I do know that when I didn't want to be interviewed there was no point in talking to me so even now whenever I interview someone if their answers are short, sharp and they have no interest in talking to me I don't have any interest in interviewing them either they don't want to talk so what's the point in talking to them so I just wrap it up as quickly as possible that's the way I work at Alan and maybe that's Still, me being the grumpy interviewee as an interviewer, but if someone <laughs> if someone doesn't want to talk to you, what is the point in trying to force a conversation? Yeah, true. 
there's nobody comfortable it doesn't make good television good radio or make for a good article so Sometimes just you have move it on to fill, I know but you, I, I, w- I would have found you wouldn't get that experience because I would have thought they'd have the height to respect for you they do but I have the height to respect for the pressure that they can be under too and if people don't want to talk it's for a reason they're trying to do a job in their own profession and when they do want to talk to you then they'll talk to you but if you're plaguing someone they tend not to yeah no, I don't even. I've I, do, well a couple of experiences I had. I, I just find the more relaxed the conversation, they're more likely to come out with stuff. Then, not that you're looking for them to come out with stuff, but it could, the conversation just can take off. I found, and and mm. you might get something out of that you never even envisaged at the start of the conversation you'd get, and all of a sudden they're coming out with stuff because they just feel in that relaxed space. They don't mm. feel as though like it's a oh, it's a journalist here now and he's quizzing me, looking for a headline, he's looking for this, looking for that. It's Ruby who I rode with and I'm I work with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's more likely to ask me twice as awkward a question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, but they're more likely to give you the answer if it's po- if yeah, it's poss- possibly. Um, but look, some people are are good talkers and maybe you get sucked into going for the soft interview. Then the person that is the good talker. But um, yeah, conversation helps though if you can make it conversational. But it's um, it's the environment as well, Alan. You wouldn't be in an environment where you have to ask a certain question or you have to get a certain reaction or there's somebody putting you under pressure yeah. to ask X about whatever's happening. Like you can just choose to because you're you're not you're not answerable to an editor who's ans- you know trying to sell papers. No or, one's or a producer to tune into RTE yeah. and here. Well, that's a very good point because yeah. you're you're speaking now from the journalist side of things. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, good, like yeah. I'd know going to an interview, I have to ask certain things because that's my role as a journalist to make sure that I ask the right questions. And would you find then if you didn't ask the questions, would you be quizzed when you came back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course you would. Yeah, well, that's you're good. not doing your job then. No, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So no, that's I'd good. find that too. Even you'd be doing interviews and you have a producer in your ear, ask whatever question, ask the next question, or. You know, if, if somebody said something you hadn't gone to a point yeah. to be back in your ear and yeah, of course you need that you need guidance but you have to decide so for me I have no problem asking the questions you have to decide which side of the fence you're on I know I am now on this side of the fence Al yeah. you're not sure you were am I am I we are on the other side of the fence no, I, I know what side I'm on but I just sometimes it feels weird saying it 10 years later <laughs> I you still haven't come around no to problem sticking the boot into Ruby whenever you want to ask him why you didn't do back to back on who was oh it? yeah, I have no problem answering the questions or giving me points. It just feels weird that I'm saying I'm uh, on this fence. Okay, well we're out of time on all of this. A uh, very quick update on the Champions League: Lazio nil, Celtic nil, Shakhtar Donetsk one, and Twerp nil. Um, I'll be back tomorrow, looking ahead to the Champions League tomorrow night and looking back on tonight's game. So do tune in. Better De Silva is up next.